leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. peeps. Happy Monday. We are back with another special edition with Dan. Mondays with Dan. I am Renee Small, co-host of Breaking into Cybersecurity. And this special edition is, um, as usual, Mondays with Dan. And I and we have a special guest today. We have Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a special guest on my he, own show. <laughs> yeah, he's a special guest on his own show. He doesn't usually grace us with his presence on Mondays. So I'm Renee Small cybersecurity super recruiter, ensuring that leaders get awesome cybersecurity talent and helping talent get into the cybersecurity industry. Um, I am going to jump over to Chris real quick. Chris, you want to introduce yourself? Hey everyone, uh, senior security consultant at Grimm and co-host of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Happy to join you today. Happy to have you with us. And Dr. Dan, this is your show, Dan. Yeah, uh, Dan Schaefer, Peak Performance Strategies. We're on our about 11th or 12th week here, I think. think 13th. But it really is uh, helping people who want to get a competitive edge, but very quickly. It's Most of the people I work with, uh, slow is not working anymore for anybody. And uh, it it really, uh, people are looking very carefully at what people have done in the past that they can use today that uh, that's very effective. We'll talk about that stuff. Cool. So Dan, today we are going to start out with what mistakes your clients made before coming to you. And I think that's very, very, um, it's a really good question and topic because especially the folks in the cybersecurity space, Dan, you've been working with leaders in cybersecurity for years now and understanding what mistakes internal clients may, especially if you're in, if you're an internal, if you're an in, in an internal cybersecurity department, what mistakes are your internal clients making? If you are a cybersecurity company, what mistakes did your external clients make before coming to you? So we're going to jump off the uh, podcast discussion this morning with that. Go for it, Dan. Um. Everyone that you talk to today that I see, in, not only in cybersecurity, but in almost any field, are talking about the solutions that they sell. We're selling solutions. Well, my premise is that uh, you really only, uh, you, if you purchase a mistake first before you, and don't make it, you don't have to pay for the solution. And I think the thing is, most people today are challenged in trying to figure, as I try to promote myself, pitch myself to my company, what do I, what, how do I do that? How do I take advantages and psychological dynamics that take place in talking about yourself to get people to think about you when you're not there? Now, to me, for example, I'll use Renee as an example. I said to her earlier this morning on a phone call, what's it got to cost somebody 
not to call Renee to recruit for cybersecurity. Could be a fortune. Could be a fortune. <laughs> right. And you know, so the point is that it, it it's gotta be it's gotta be risky not to deal with you. Uh so when we come back to this, it, it really becomes very interesting when people look at um, how mistakes play into marketing themselves. Uh, to me, what, what's come up on these calls is the word before. Uh, you need to be doing something before something happens. That's And, and everybody is competing today. I know there are some people who think competition is uh, – is a problem with competition, but I personally, I would not want to hire a cybersecurity expert who is not competitive because you're fighting against attackers all the time. Yep. And so how aggressive are you? Uh, and again, you know, I found it was very interesting when you mentioned internal clients and external clients. Uh, I worked for a communication company some years ago that had a problem because there was conflict between the external the internal clients who were the tech repair guys and the salespeople were out in the field. And the salespeople would call in with a challenge from wherever they were in the world. And the internal cyber, the internal repair guys gave them a hard time, you know, and, and were discourteous. So you have to say, people have to understand what team they're playing on and that everybody is important to make this stuff happen. But, at the end of the day, what we come back again is, is that how do you use mistakes? Well, it's too long to go into it now, but if you were to send me an email and you have my email and just in the subject bar, just put mistakes, I'll send you a list of the mistakes that my clients made before they became my client. I'm speaking to two people this afternoon, both of who've done this. And, uh, I said to them, you know, what you really need to be doing is learning how to use the concept of selling mistakes to advance your own position. So, and there's an invisible dynamic that works extraordinarily well. You don't even see it happen. You can't even mention it, really. But uh, everybody I work with today is in 2025 working backwards. Where do you personally see yourself in 2025? And how do you make sure that what you don't do anything between your dream of 2025 and today that will foul your position up and foul up your objectives? Well, you know, uh, there's an invisible dynamic that takes place in every deal you close, every interview you go to. And if you put together the right language, you're able to take tremendous advantage over that. And it's called short term discomfort versus long term regret. I may not want to deal with Renee right now if I'm trying to put together a cybersecurity team, but I'll tell you what I really don't want. I don't want to be in 2025 looking backwards, wishing I did. There are a lot of people that are saying, oh, I wish I did this before. I wish I came to you sooner. Uh, I wish I did, you know, and identify what the obstacles are. You know, uh, for those of you who haven't heard me before, I work with the professional athletes as well. And uh, helping them identify what they do well becomes critical and how they market themselves. And really, when they see that themselves, that they're running their own company. And almost everybody that I work with on some level sees themselves as running their own company, sees themselves as a CEO of their own company. Okay, how do you market your company? How do you talk about that? How do you put together language that stops people dead in their tracks when they ask you what you do? 
rather than let them just assume that they know what you're doing, go on and on and on and on. That happens a lot with people. But you, you said something that um, makes me think back to something that my wife says. Uh, she's a CEO of our family. And oftentimes she'll say, you should have just bought the right one the first time. Don't go cheap. So now, now I think like, okay, when I make a purchase, is this going to come back and haunt me? Or should I go and make the right purchase ahead of time? Cost a little more, but then I won't hear my wife saying, yeah, you should have done that right the first time. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's, well, I, I'm, I'm glad you have somebody to help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it really is, you know, uh, because you can't afford. I'll give you an example. I'm working right now with a guy who's a friend of mine. He's a college recruiter. And he he, he said to me, you know, he said, I went to uh, he said, I, I went to a I met a guy at a party and the guy had on this gorgeous uh, sweatshirt with the name of the school on his sweatshirt. I won't give the name of the school. And I said, he, he said to me, I love that sweater. And he said, you know what? How much this sweater cost me? $500,000 to send my kid to the school. And what I got back was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so the return on investment is not there. But, you know, it, it's again, you know, people who are under tremendous amount of pressure. I mean, you know, I, I keep thinking about my athletes. I work with quarterbacks and other people in sports. And I get a timeout. Cybersecurity people get no timeout. The attack is always coming. And to me, it's like standing under Niagara Falls and waiting for the water to stop. It doesn't stop. Yeah. So it's how do you how do you put together? And I wonder how you put together a team, Renee. Yeah. Well, Dan, before we jump into that, I want to I want to make a comment. We have some great people that join us every week, and George says, "Dr. Dan is right. Competition does bring out the best in us." People striving to be great brings quality results to the table. Right. Well, I, I think George is talking about his A game. Everybody has to bring their A game to the table. And you can't assume, just assume that it's there. You know, I come back to one of my hockey players. I said, what's it like when you perform at your best? This is something for people to think about. It's part of this program we put together. Um, what's it like when you perform at your best? What does it look like, sound like, and feel like when you perform at your best? And he would say to me, well, he said, when I'm performing at my best, he says, I don't hear any crowds. The puck is the size of a dinner plate, and the game moves very slowly. He said, well, one of those three things change. I know I'm losing my concentration. I said, so what do you do to get your concentration back? He said, I hope that it'll come back. I said, hope is, not, <laughs> hope is not a strategy. So we put together some strategies to bring somebody back into their performance zone absolutely immediately. And they need to do that. But not only that, but when we, Renee and I talked about this before, if you are an individual contributor, you're running your own company, you're a sole proprietor, that's one thing. But if you're managing a team of people, I think the, the, the company that you're working for expects you to develop the people underneath you. And yeah. to do that, uh, and we ran into that with Hewlett Packard years ago, you need to know what you do well. And most really talented people cannot tell you what they do well because they work on a level of unconscious competence. They do stuff automatically without thinking about it. Well, you know, 
I used this example last week when we had, I had a guy who ran a huge organization in New Zealand, made millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I said to him, how did you do that? He says, oh, I was just being myself. I said, that's no good. Because if I come to work for you, you have to be able to help me to know what I need to do to get as good as you. Right. And people don't. So we have some strategies to not only pick up what people do well, but also where they can derail. I, yeah. I've been using an assessment for 15 years now that will show an individual every single place that they can screw up going forward. And it's 30 minutes online and you, and you get the answers and it's so accurate. It's unbelievable. And that assessment is what one, a lot of the executives use like the C-suite CEOs of major, you know, fortune 500 companies when assessing talent internal and the ones coming in. Right, Dan? Uh, there's a whole wide variety of assessments out there and everybody has their own assessment that they love. I love this assessment mm -hmm. because I find it, found it to be accurate, but you know, everybody has a tool that they use the tools. It's interpreting the tools, but also helping the people who are working within the organization to understand what their role is, what they need to be doing. And it's, it's a challenge Dr. because, Andy. you know, there's no, oops. You know, what you guys do, there's no oops. Oops, we missed it. No. That, the oops cost a fortune. Go ahead, Chris. You want to say something? I, I was going to say earlier with the hockey player, you, you mentioned that you mentioned that concentration. That sounds um, similar to a, a concept called uh, flow state, right? How, how, yeah, do you exactly. keep, how, how do you keep your athletes or those that, that you work with, um, how do you help them get to that state of flow or keep them in that state of flow? Uh, what I find necessary is, and it was each sport is different. I, I use golf as an example. I mean, somebody says, you know, I can't concentrate for a whole four hour round of golf. And I said, you only have to concentrate for five minutes. If you shoot a hundred, you know, cause the golf swing takes three seconds. So it's the ability to do whatever you're doing, get out of it and come back in quickly and returning to that. Uh, some strategies we put together to bring a person right back in. But you asked a great question, Chris. How do you notice when you're not in it? How do you notice when you're not? How do you notice what distraction is? I mean, I think that that's the biggest, one of the biggest issues. I mean, I spoke to one of, one of the top NFL quarterbacks. I said, what do you need to have happen? He said, I need to increase my concentration. I said, okay. What gets in the way of your concentration? He said, I get distracted. I said, what distracts you? He said, the way I talk to myself. And so the way people talk to themselves is dramatic as a way to, to drain, you know, uh, everybody's familiar with trash talk. Trash talk works very, very well on the individual because it's in your own voice. <laughs> How many people beat themselves up? So, Dan, you made a couple of good points that align to a discussion that we've been having on LinkedIn this weekend around um, a, re a recent executive order. So this past Friday, um, the Trump administration created a, signed a new executive order that will consider skills um, over degrees when it comes to hiring in the federal space. And it has, uh, 
it has caused quite a discussion on my feed on LinkedIn this weekend with, I think at this point, 30 something thousand shares and 30 something thousand um, views in the feed and a ton of discussion. And it's interesting what, what I just thought about what you brought up is around um, leaders, like leaders of, of sports teams, for example. And leaders from sports teams, they look at the talent, they look at the skill, they bring all different types of people to the table. So you have your college grads that come in, you have, you know, a couple, you know, exceptional high school grads that come in um, into different sports teams. So I definitely want to hear your thoughts around, you know, leaders who are right now probably facing this situation, because a lot of the people that were on the workforce planning team, their CEOs, the CEO of IBM, the CEO of Apple, there are many, many CEOs that were a part of this team, um, you know, to influence this decision. So I wanted to, and I think about it from a leadership perspective now, because you have some people who will feel like, oh, well, I have a degree that was a waste of time. Um, and leaders, you know, trying to balance that out in their organizations when they look to bring in people who you know, who don't have a degree and have the skills for certain roles and, you know, the way a person who has a degree may feel. So talk to us about what your thoughts are in regards to leaders bringing in different types of talent and at different levels. Um, you and Packard put together a uh, competency model that has about 38 items on it, for international leaders directly underneath the senior management in the company. And I thought it was fantastic, but the amount of companies that don't have a competency model, what are you looking for? What do you need? What do you need in that situation? And it becomes different. Excuse my phone. Uh, that, that really has people looking at what they need to do uh, to perform well. So what we, the way we used it, and the way, I'm sorry, the way we used it was to uh, really uh, – uh, say to an individual, you're going to be leading a country for this company. Uh, we assessed what skills and talents they had. They looked at a competency model and they say, okay, what do you need on this competency model? Uh, do you, what do you need help uh, developing? If you were to pick three things on this list of competencies, what do you want to develop? But what do you want to develop quickly? Uh, as I've said on this before, you know, slow is not working for people anymore. People want to move very, very quickly. And so how do you do that? Uh, so I think that, that no matter what business you're in, what part of the cybersecurity world you're in, you really should have a competency model uh, so that you know what you're hiring toward. You know, I, I worked with a law firm in, in the city, and uh, they said, we're going to build our practice. We're going to put three or four more divisions in our practice. And we're interviewing people for the for the uh, practice. I said, well, what are you interviewing them for? Well, she said, well, their skills and talents. I said, I would want to be interviewing them for their dream. What's their dream? What do they want to be doing? Where do they want to be? So that's where my 2025 plan comes in. Somebody takes 2025. I give you a magic wand. You wave it. And here's what I want 2025 to be. My kids are five years older. I'm five years older. You know, what? what happens? What do you want to be doing? And then you have a target because I think it's just like sports. You really want to get uh, people to have a, uh, a target to, to work toward. And that's what this competency model works for. And also your 2025 dream. 
And that's going to change to 2026, probably around the end of November or December, because we start to go into the next year. But still, it's not, this is not goal setting. This is dreaming. Where do you want to be? You put it into your subconscious mind and you let your subconscious mind move you in that direction. But I think it's, it's critical for people to know what skills do I really need to do a job? You know, so somebody comes into you. It's when we move from the, uh, uh, from the management culture to the coaching culture, which becomes interesting. All of these things require somebody, a leader, to know what they do well. So how do you do that? And then if you're going to another company, how do you make sure that that company is going to support you in your growth toward where you want to be? I, I, I talk to people who are in a transition and are they, I say to them, they, they say, I'm going to interviews. I said, well, who's interviewing who? You guys are experts in cybersecurity. Are you interviewing the company or is the company interviewing you? I think you have to be interviewing the company. And really what we look at, and Renee and I have been talking about this for years, is, is getting an organizational chart. If you're going to work with me, get an organizational chart, send it to me and say, here's where I enter and here's where I want to be. And then we figure ways to get you to where you want to be. Who's in the way, who, ne who needs you to be in that position, who's afraid of you to get into that position, who's threatened by you in that situation, all types of situations. But it's good to know that before, capital before, before you go in someplace, <laughs> what you're dealing with. I, I think that um, the executive order would be comparable to what happens, say, for example, in the NFL. They have to do the physical exercises, which they gain the experience from, but then they also have to go back and read the playbooks and look at the tapes and do all the theoretical so you kind of need both of them you need the practice on the field but then you also need the, the the coach telling them hey this is the theory that you should use in order to defend best against this opponent or that opponent that's right no, i agree with you so what are some of the ways that you help your clients realize that they kind of need both the theoretical as well as the experience in order to to be them best up to be their best selves uh by asking somebody and, and you see one of the things is everybody is different there are no two situations alike there are no two clients alike and i think that when you're talking about situations within the company there are no two clients alike in the companies either so what did when I ask people, what do you personally need to have happen right now that's not happening? And then we find out what's in the way. You know, I, I brought up golf before. I had a guy who said to me he was a great golfer, but he couldn't play well 50 yards in. He had a problem playing 50 yards into the hole. And, and uh, what ultimately came out is the only time he had trouble 50 yards in is when he played against somebody who made more money than he did. Who would ever look for that? A lot of the stuff that's in the way is invisible. It can be the way you talk to yourself. But one of the, the things that I tend to bring into relationships I have with clients is I come in with no emotion. Everybody that's involved in a transition or interviews, there's a lot of emotion in that. When you take emotion out of it, an emotion will derail you every time. Somebody says, I like to play angry. No, you don't. You don't play well, <laughs> you don't play well when you play angry. 
I think so, it. You know, it's it's uh, every, every everyone is individual and different. I, I agree. I think there's so much emotion involved in so many aspects of all of these discussions. Um, and I saw some bubbling up this weekend as I, you know, read through the comments and stuff on this post about the executive order. Um, but in, in particular, Dan, because leaders, and this is specifically with the leadership perspective, you know, my leadership hat on, knowing that they're going to have to deal with, um, you know, people who potentially are disgruntled or, you know, um, what the assessments will look like. Because one of the things that I I read the executive order and I'm listening to the actual discussion that was had um, and there's an assessment component. So when you bring up your assessment points, that like completely aligns to what is supposed to happen um, in this particular executive order for the federal government, which will likely trickle into these other organizations since they were part of the folks that put the whole thing together. Um, And the assessment piece, I think, is key because people tend to um, either discount it or not think that um, you know, being able to test into certain levels and certain roles and assessments just so we have different types of assessments, as we all know. Um, but having leaders like be prepared for what's coming down the pipeline is really, really important. Um, and what are some of the things that you do, I think, would really, really um, help them as they start to move into this arena of more companies looking to bring in talent this way? You know, years ago, I had put together a program called 888. It was eight keys to competitive edge, eight hours straight for only eight people. And I revised it in the last two months. And I originally put it out on uh, 888fasttrack.com, uh, which kind of outlined a, uh, a 10-week program. Uh, and then I said, people said to me, we don't want to wait 10 weeks. So could you do it in, in two days, four hours, one day, four hours, another day. So we're revising that right now. But the fact is, is that these are eight keys to competitive edge that really combine both sports performance and business performance, bring them both together. And they get embedded into your subconscious mind so that as you move forward, you're working together with all the tools you need. See, because everybody walks around with a toolbox. When I and I have talked about this for years, what's in your toolbox? What tools are in your toolbox that you're aware of? What tools are in your toolbox that you don't even know are there? What tools have you used so often you don't even recognize them? And people in companies depend on you to take those tools out and, and to offer them to somebody to help that other person grow. Because this is, you know, and so I've talked to athletes about team sports. And I said, I think team sports start the minute everybody gets on the field with their A game. Everybody has to bring it. And you have to have the confidence to bring people to bring their A game with them. And, and then what's the cost of not having your A game? Could be a fortune. I mean, I, one of my articles on mistakes talks about a $350,000 handshake. A couple of people put together a company, uh, started a partnership on a handshake 15 years ago. Partnership is dissolving. 
And the lawyer, who's a client of mine, said to me, my client has got to pay $350,000 to straighten this out because he didn't pay for the legal papers 15 years ago. Big mistake. So it's, you know, the stuff that you can't afford to have happen, and it really, really doesn't have to happen. I find that looking backwards from 2025 to today, with the talent and the skills and the perception that people in this field have, they can pick out the stuff that they expect to have happen. Now, Dan, the program is 888fasttrack.com? Yes. Okay. But that's going to talk that about a 10-week, that's going to talk about a 10-week program. But right now, um, since, it's, since it really involves eight hours, it's an eight, eight-week program, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to bring it down to do it in two four-hour blocks. Let somebody do a morning and an afternoon, whatever. But so that they'll walk away to how does somebody benefit from a program like that? Well, first of all, fortunately, most of the stuff we talk about goes into your subconscious mind anyway, and you start to act on it just the way an athlete acts on sports performance. Uh, But, you know, you're surprised to notice that you start to think about this stuff when you need it. And then listening to the people who are responsible, who you're responsible for to grow within your company to do that. Everybody wants to find the edge. Everybody. Question is, where do you look for it? And how quickly do you need it? And I'll tell you, slow. You know, when the minute I talked to some people about this, I said, eight weeks. They said, eight weeks? Can you do it sooner? I said, yeah, we'll do it in two days. You know, because I I think that you could go through any one of these segments, these eight segments and and uh, making the right decisions, uh, generate enough revenue to uh, to pay for the thing many times over. That's what we wanted to do. Right. And then how does somebody how does somebody uh, look at themselves as a CEO of their own company? Develop a safety net for yourself. We we did this with Hewlett Packard guys. Every one of them developed a safety net while they were still inside the company. You never have to use it, but if you have a, your own private consulting company, then somebody's able to refer somebody to you for something else. But that's more that's something we'd have to talk about personally. You know, to give me a call. But you know, feel free to pick the phone up and give me a call and tell me what you need to have happen. And again, you know, I've, I've made a mistake here. I said, a, text me, but people have texted me, but they don't put their names on a text, so I don't know who I'm talking to. <laughs> so in some way, identify yourself and send it in. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, eight weeks is a long time, especially for someone that's, say, looking for a new role or looking to pivot into the industry. Um, they're, they're looking to do something sooner. So like you said, fast. Yeah. Slow, slow isn't good enough these days. Right. So, I mean, do you, do you really want to, you know, I'll talk about preparation for competition. Anytime you're going in, for, anybody's going in for an interview, even thinking about it, who they talk to, what they say, how they present themselves, identifying what those people want. I just worked with somebody who was doing an interview and uh, the guy called me back and he said to me, he says, you amaze me. I said, why? He said, every question you told me the interviewer was going to ask me, they asked me. 
So it's it's being prepared before you go in. And I'll tell you something. I've said this on every one of these calls. Everybody on this call knows way more than they know that they know. You guys know a whole lot more than you know that you know. And unconscious competence can cost you a fortune. Because you can't teach somebody what you don't know that you know. Unconscious Yeah, I had someone um, reach out to me over the weekend um, as part of the cyber group that I mentor. And they presented three different roles that they were interested in and, and kind of asked me which one should they go to. And I said, well, first of all, I think you should do an assessment of the different roles, the skills and competencies required for those different roles, and then figure out of those which one are most interesting to you that you have more passion about and then where you want to be in three to five years. And then I'll give you better guidance as to which of those roles you, you really do want to consider versus just showing sure. randomly. And if, if it's a role where they're going to be staying within a company, I would want to see the organizational chart. Who's there? You know, I worked with a hospital uh, with some doctors and some people within a hospital setting who were, uh, they were part of a, a, an eight-person team. And uh, I said to this one woman who was my client, I said, what do you want to do? She says, I want to be a vice president. And I said to her, okay. I said, what have you done so far? to move to this position of vice president. She said, I asked HR if there were, when there were going to be another opening for vice president. Well, mm -hmm. she happened to be in charge of uh, three different hospitals, emergency settings, liaison with fire department, Homeland Security, everybody on the outside. So I said to her, I said, you know, and she happened to know the president of the hospital. I said, what's happening? She said, well, people will call up my division and they'll ask for the vice president of whatever the hospital division. They said, oh, we, don't have a, we don't have a vice president. We have a director. Well, can't we get to the vice president? So what was happening is when she went back to the president of the hospital, she said, you know, I don't care whether you give me an increase in salary, but you need to make me a vice president because people on the outside are, are looking for somebody on that level to talk to. So uh, he made her vice president. Do you know why he didn't make her vice president before? Because he couldn't explain to the other seven people on the team why he was promoting her and not them. Had nothing to do with her skills. She was doing the job already. But it was costing him in public relations not to have her as a vice president. I think that's one of the reasons in the banking industry as well, that um, all the managers need to be a vice president of the bank um, for the branch because they need to make decisions for at a branch level that only a vice president could make. Sure. And that's why like a lot of people in the banking industries have these high titles, but it's only because the legal requirements requires um, that branch manager to be a vice president in order to make them. Yep. <laughs> I know. It's true. And so when, when you hear vice president of a bank, you really think, you know, almost everybody's the vice president. <laughs> That's the case. 
vice president and vice presidents in banking, all levels in banking, usually, you know, a couple years experience. Right. So what other kind of challenges do you find, Chris, with the people you are helping out? What are the kind of challenges are they facing going forward? Well, since um, I tend to focus or have been focusing more on the entry level to manager level, um, your recommendation of the org chart, um, that tends to be less applicable to them because someone just coming into the field or even at the manager level, um, they might not be able to ask for an org chart, but what they could ask for would be what, what, what are the lines of progression as to where they're coming in and where they can go um, within the role. Uh, that, that could be a similar recommendation because I think asking as a junior or a mid for a org chart ahead of time, um, I, I don't see many companies providing that. Okay. Um, maybe some of the other, the, the things that you said that I thought were very resounding for at that level as well, um, is thinking about how do you play well in a team so that you're always bringing your A game, but that your A game does not affect the dynamics of the team because the whole team has to play together. And that, that came back to your story with the internal tech support and the external salespeople. They're all on right. the same team delivering the same mission for the company, um, but they didn't realize that. And I, I've seen that happen within companies where uh, the, the salespeople think they can do anything that they want kind of mentality, and then the internal tech support going, why should we bow to them all the time? And I think if you pivot it the other way right. is that the salespeople are helping keeping the business going. So how can you help them enable the business while still keeping things secure? Right. That's, that's a big challenge is, is that the people who implement the products that somebody sells uh, don't want anybody to make them work any harder. <laughs> oh, we have a new, you have a new thing. You have a new sale. Well, that means we're going to have to work. I've seen this happen. Basically, I had a client who was a top sales guy in a tech company, and he got to the point where he just put the he closed the contract, he put the contract together, and put it on the desk of the president of the company in a colored folder, and say, "Here are the ones I need you to take this in to the people who are going to put it together, the operations people." Because if I take it into the operations, people are getting nuts with me. Yep, I can see oh, that. You know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. That, so the question is, is what, what in an organization is slowing it down? What dynamics is slowing the organization down? And then who, who's in a position, who's got most to lose waiting on it? taking care yeah. of it. And um, I recently wrote a blog. So that's a challenge. Yeah, I recently wrote a blog for working at home and for security folks to think about the people, the process and the technology. And you're trying to help everyone that works from home ensure that you're productive for the company um, while keeping the company secure. So you have to think about the holistic picture, not just how can you do your role. 
Right. I guess when you take people out of the office environment and put them home, then you have less ability to uh, oversee what they're doing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Have you had um, clients where they're facing challenges working on remote teams? Yes. Um, we ran into that. I keep coming back to Hewlett Packard because I had a guy who ran, who was in charge of a country in, in Europe. And uh, he had people, he had seven people all over the place that he was re uh, trying to manage. And we moved from a management culture to a coaching culture. Uh, and, and that very sim simply is that I come to work for you, Chris. And uh, you tell me, you say, listen, Dan, here's a project. I want you to look at, go back, come back and tell me how you're going to handle it. Well, I come back and I explain to you how I'm preparing to handle this project. And uh, you, you have to be quiet and let me explain it until I assure you that I'm the person you want to handle this. So I go through all the dynamics. I'll do this, 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 and this. The second part of that is we need this done by August 15th. Is there anything you could imagine that would get in the way of between now and August 15th? No. So I've, I've committed to the process and the time. And the next question you would ask me is, Dan, what do you need from me? I need resources. I need money. I need whatever. So, so the point is, is that, but I've made you comfortable before I step out the door about how I'm going to handle this project. That doesn't happen very often. People are always going, oh my God, he said what? He did what? He did. So it's, it's setting that up that way. When you start to operate from a coaching culture rather than a management culture, um, you save a tremendous amount of mistakes. And I had a law firm, this guy fought me on this thing and finally called me back a year and a half after we, I implemented it. He said to me, I just saved 20 million in 20 minutes. I said, how do you do that? He said, I had an attorney who was going in to try a case in court it was a hang it. There's no way we could have lost it. And when I asked her how she was going to handle it, two minutes into the conversation, I knew we were going to lose the case. So I was able to stop it, reassign somebody, get a postponement and all of that. So I think it's a lot better to know ahead of time if something's going to go south than to wait and have it go south and then try to pick up the pieces. Yeah. So it, and, and for, but for that system to work, the person who's the leader, if you're in that position, Chris, you really need to know what you do well. You have to have all your ducks in order. You have to know what you do well. You have to be confident in that, and you have to be able to communicate it to people. That's the only way the coaching culture works. I think you also have to be aware of where you don't do well as well so that um, the rest of your team can make up in those areas or you can supplement your team with individuals that have those strengths where you might be weaker. Right. And so to me, that would mean a, a, a team competency model. What if to be on this team, you have to have these competencies. And if you guys send me, I'll send it to Renee. I know Renee has it, but I'll send another one. Just shoot me a quick email, Chris. I'll send it to you. But this is a competency model. And you can model your competency models against this one. So that you're coming into somebody saying, if you want to, perform really if this is your a game 
see see how many of these things we can help you with to get you to that A game. Nice. Wow, such a such a impactful session already. I should I should really join these more often. <laughs> yeah, this is what you've been missing. <laughs> I know. I yeah. know. Come on, hang out with us. <laughs> So, Dan, we're at 43 minutes. Chris, you want to wrap this yeah. up since you've been running the show here? <laughs> sure, why not? Um, Dan, if you had to summarize everything you said today into one piece of advice, how would you summarize today's session? Call me on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, I, have, you know, I, have, I have a client who held the Springboard Diving Championship in New York City for four years. And I said to him, what's the difference between springboard diving and business? He said, nothing, it's exactly the same. He said, my dives are always the same, but the water is always different. The water is never the same. There's no two situations the same. So without getting a look at what's happening and talking to the people involved and understanding the personalities of the people around, the cybersecurity people I've worked with, sometimes we've worked with 10, 15 profiles of people I have to deal with on a regular basis. Who's making the decision? Who do you need? To, what do you need to say to persuade and influence somebody to get in the right direction? Uh, but it's, it's different. Yeah. But the fact is, is that no, no other industry that I know can afford that they can, it has to be so careful about the mistakes that people in cybersecurity have to make because they're global. Yeah. Bruce does great session. Thanks, Bruce. So, Dan, um, I put your website in the chat, 888fasttrack.com. On the blurb, it says, Dan Schaefer, PhD.com. You can go to either one. Dan's phone number is there. You can feel free to text him. If you need the number, you can reach out to me. Um, thanks for if coming. If you text me, start out with your name. So I know who I'm <laughs> Dan's been getting a ton of texts. A ton of people have been reaching out. Cybersecurity leaders are getting all of his expertise, which is fantastic. Uh, we will see you again next week, Dan, on Monday okay, with Dan. Good. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> this is like Mondays with Dan. Chris, shoot me an email and I'll send you that uh, competency model. Will do. Thank you so much, okay. Dan. Okay, great. Bye, everybody. Goodbye, guys. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.